Morning, church. Happy Sunday to all. If I may be so bold, Jane, would you make me a coffee? I'm sorry, I meant to do that beforehand and I ran out of time. I appreciate it. Speaking of blessings, there goes one right now. Uh, Good morning, everybody. As uh, we mentioned before, we finished our slog, study, wonderful time in the Minor Prophets. Um, if you were paying attention to those and you got to thinking, boy, these are, these, are, these are tougher, tougher than some of the stuff I remember hearing in church in the past. It's probably fair. When we go into the Old Testament, we find Jesus everywhere in the Bible. So that's always good news, really good news. But sometimes it might be a little bit trickier to put together, what do I want to glean from that? Where's the personal application? This seems more like a historical narrative in some regards. Well, the answer is yes. Um, the, the New Testament, not to upset any apple carts here, is the same. <laughs> it too is a historical narrative. It too does have life applications. Now, it may seem a little clearer to us because we're going to hear people like Christ on the earth talking to us, as well as people who knew him, disciples, and so on and so forth. And the message is much more poignant on the kingdom of God and how we interact with that. And so as we've transitioned into this sermon series, the Sermon on the Mount, arguably some of the most well-known, cited, stitched on pillows, memorized scripture that has ever been. We are going to find ourselves in a place where it's going to be perhaps very familiar. Um, But uh, I I can tell you this much. As we went through this, we're talking in our small group, Take a Sermon on the Mount series, and uh, you name it, it's been preached. Think of a way it's been preached, and that's probably been done too. Um, I thought what we were going to do is take a pretty slow pace through this, but in our small group we found out that this isn't that slow. Um, one of the people here said that they, they uh, took to today's sermon and made three months out of just that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So um, what we're going to be covering today, is, as Leah mentioned, are the, 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 the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, known as the Beatitudes, colloquially. Um, And I titled the sermon, Be Different. And I think as we go through this, I'm going to hopefully unpack why I chose that title specifically versus something like Be Christ-like or Be Good or Be Nice, but Be Different. Before we get there, though, let's read it together. If you've got your Bibles, it'll be in Matthew 5, chapter 1. Verse 1, rather. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord, I'm really excited to Starting to, to be starting a new sermon series, excited to be in the book of Matthew, excited that we are going to be talking through some, some scripture that is, <laughs> I guess in some ways, easy to understand, 
compared to maybe some of the stuff in the Old Testament that takes a little bit more time and effort on our part to, to understand more fully why it's in the Word. What we see here, Lord, are words that are very clear and concise from, from your mouth at your time here on this earth, Lord. And uh, it's wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to study. Lord, I pray as we, we dive into this that we examine it with the same scrutiny, the same attitude of wanting to understand more deeply what it means, what, who, what this says about you and your work on the cross and in eternity, as we do when we dig into something that maybe isn't quite as clear, Lord. Help us not to just seal our minds off and say we know this stuff all that well and, and uh, catch up on email or something like that, Lord. This is an awesome opportunity. I'm thankful for the opportunity that's presented itself. It's in your sins that we pray. Amen. Hello, New Testament. So as I said, you're going to be, chances are you'll be familiar with the new passage. Now, if you don't know anything about Jesus, you've never even opened the word, you maybe heard somebody say the word beatitude or something like that, great. If not, this probably will be familiar to you. If you've been in church for a minute, you've probably heard these things cited endless times. If you've been in church since you were a kid, you've probably memorized these. Probably got a sucker because you recited it on a Sunday morning and you did it. But I will say studying familiar scripture can be tricky. If you ever wonder, man, this guy talks a lot about studying and blah, blah, blah. Uh, when, when I talk about these things, this is me talking to myself. When I think I understand something very well, I tend to tune out new ideas regarding it. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to be bringing any new ideas here. I'm not going to like, let's turn the Beatitudes on their head. That's not that. But sometimes we hear something talked about enough and we hear learned people, people that we've looked up to in our lives. We've read, we've heard. We've, We've seen, we've heard all these wonderful inputs, and they all seem to align, and we think, well, that, that settles it. That's what that means. It's already entrenched. I understand it fully. And when we do that, we run a risk of perhaps robbing the Holy Spirit of an opportunity to illumine us further in a deeper way, a, a degree of peace. And I'll tell you, as I went through this today, uh, putting this together for today, th there were several moments just like that. And what I'm going to be preaching through the Beatitudes might be a little different than something you've heard before. So don't fall asleep right away. Just because it's familiar doesn't mean it can't teach you more. That's not Scripture, but if there's anything I can tell you about my journey through Scripture, it's that. I have read, I have preached and talked about time and time again. I heard this when I was 14 years old. 30 years later, I'm putting together this thing for a sermon. I read it, and it suddenly dawns on me. This isn't my elect coming through, finally, it's the Holy Spirit. What about this? Here's another aspect of who God is and what he's going to do and the way we can participate with that. So, in we go. The Beatitudes. Church word alert. We use a lot of those occasionally, words that we rarely used outside of this. If you go look up a word like Beatitude in the dictionary, you'll see words like this get marked with things like, in Christianity, as an indicator, like, oh, the world doesn't use this word as much. Now, this used to be a more used word, but it's kind of fallen out of favor. But beatitude means basically a state of utmost bliss. Here, in this passage, these are colloquially referred to, all of these directives that we see Christ talking about here are the beatitudes. Not the beatitudes, not like the Beatles. Beatitudes. And also you're thinking, oh, yeah, they misspelled attitude. No, that's the way the word is spelled. But any of these and all of these are engineered to invoke that. If you wonder why they were named Beatitude, Beatitude, a word meaning the state of utmost blisses, these could colloquially be referred to as the states of utmost bliss. Think about that as we go through this. 
Who in their right mind would not say, do you want the state of utmost bliss? Most everyone's going to raise their hand. Sounds good. I'll take that. State of utmost bliss sounds good. What we're going to talk about are named for that. And what we see here, what, uh, one, of my, the favorite, one, one of my favorite things about this is how it starts. For those of us that, that choose to stand in a pulpit and try our darndest to preach the word fully and completely and rightly, this starts off with a really short chorus on how to preach. <laughs> Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Those are the first two verses. How to preach. Step one, see the crowds. Step two, go where they can see you. And then three, take a minute to gather yourself and your team. Four, open your mouth and teach. We don't see he opened his mouth and taught them using words when necessary. Anybody ever heard that? God, living the gospel is great. We are called to do that too. But here we see Christ who could have done anything. <laughs> could have done anything. He could have summoned a lightning storm. He could have made a rock monster that spoke and made them believe. Instead, he saw the crowds. He went up on the mountain. He sat down. His disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, he spoke. People are like, man, how can you preach? That seems so tough. Uh, I'm not going to say that it's easy. Uh, and there's also a great deal of risk in doing it. I'll be perfectly frank. But at the end of the day, these four steps are what we are all called to do. You go into a workplace, is there a crowd there? Yeah, go somewhere where they can see you. Take a minute to gather yourself and your team. I don't have a team, get a team. In today's world, unlike the time here, you could text five or six people real quick and say, hey, pray for me, I'm gonna to talk to some people at lunch today about Jesus. Open your mouth and teach. Sound scary? Welcome to preaching. Now, we know how to preach, now how to be blessed. And here's where we're going to dive right into these things. The first one is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. Seems confusing, perhaps. Basically, no, you are spiritually bankrupt and dead in sin. This is not being without the Holy Spirit. But this is about knowing the first step, the first blessing is realization that you are without spirit. I don't want the spirit that is me. I don't want the spirits of greed and the, the spirits the world brings. I don't want that anymore. I don't want them. And without them, I'm, I'm absent of any spirit, and that's where I need to be. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. After being blessed by being poor in spirit, knowing you're spiritually bankrupt and dead in sin. Step two, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We talked a little bit about this. Mike, in a, in a related study, mentioned from his perspective, at least the way that he viewed this, mourning, different than grief, is mourning gives you something that you can make a difference in. Grief is you're without power, but mourning leads you to change that you could make. My perspective on this is sort of the, the same, if you will, but on the other end of this. Grief is something that if I observe something that I find very sad but had no part in, I can grieve over that. But I often mourn over the things that I've done. I have caused grief in myself and others. My hand, my choices. If I am spiritually bankrupt and I realize I am dead in sin and all the things that I've done to hurt other people, hurt myself, offend God, leads me to a place where I repent in sadness for my helplessness and my sad state. 
I can't do this on my own. I don't know what to do. I've tried. It's manufactured more grief. I am without, I am without action. I am utter, I'm in utter despair. I'm undone. These passages are all throughout the, the, the word as men face God and realize that I can't even stand on my own two feet. He's too holy. This are, is where the blessing for those who mourn. Repent in sadness for your helplessness and your sad state. You know you're dead in sin. Now you realize, I can't even fix it. I can't unsin. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is a trait that we don't talk a lot about in the world in one way or the other. It usually is going to be negative, but it doesn't come up very often. Meekness is tough. It's a tough thing to pin down. If you had somebody, what's it mean to be meek? You're probably like, I don't know, kind of maybe shy or soft-spoken or whatever else. What we see here is blessed are the meek. The word that's used for meek here is, is one who understands that they are powerless. I can't, there, there's not a thing for me to do. I'm not, I'm not three actions away from what is required. I'm not on a path to salvation that I've constructed myself that's of any use. You may think that you are. But as we see this, these steps down, these blessings are being poor in spirit, mourning, and now meekness. This is admitting that we are incapable of doing anything to correct it. There's nothing we can do. There's a famous quote that says, the only thing that I contributed to my salvation is the sin that required it. That's the facts. That's a meek attitude. Now, when we talk about being different, we talk about the world. The world's not going to talk to us about these things at all. You're never going to go into a job interview at a company, and they're going to, what we're looking for is someone who's really poor in spirit, mourning, super meek, hungry and thirsty. These aren't, they want to talk, let's talk about your resume. What have you done? What have you accomplished? What, tell me, what's one of your, your biggest weaknesses? Oh, my biggest weakness is probably I don't have, I have too many strengths. <laughs> you know, and these kinds of questions come up because we want to present ourselves as put together. We want to present ourselves as organized and, and well thought out and, and, and uh, capable. And what we see here is Christ opening his mouth and teaching them that if you are poor in spirit, you'll inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you mourn over that poverty, you'll be comforted. If as you come to grips with that and you're moving through your mourning, you realize there's nothing you can even do to change that, you'll inherit the earth. And lastly, what we see here is a deep desire to be righteous. If you deeply desire to be righteous. And what we'll notice here, know you are. Repent. Admit you are. Deeply desire to be. This is a vast departure from what many people think the church wants, which is people to look like they're spiritually bankrupt. Act like they're repenting in sadness. Feign incapability, but knowing they could really do something about it. And then pretend like you're trying to be righteous. If you look good, they'll probably get off our back about it. Well, church, I'm not here to be on your back about any of this. <laughs> this is not my business. This is between you and the Holy Spirit. But what we have here is Christ teaching us in His Word exactly how you Inherit the kingdom of heaven, are comforted, inherit the earth, and be satisfied. 
And it's not by acting a part. It's not by pretending that it's all okay. Pretending it's all, well, I don't need to mourn because it's all good. It's all good. Everything's good. We're still good. We're fine. Everything is okay. Look at us. The family's all here. We all made it in today. We're all smiling. We're shaking hands with people. We're going through the motions. We're putting our donation in the plate. We're doing the work. I don't need any of this stuff. We're taking care of. No, you need this, not that. If you are sitting here today and you've never faced the fact that you're spiritually bankrupt, if you've never once gone through a phase of mourning over the sin in your life, the cost that that was, what, what, who paid for it and what they endured to do that, if that's never been something you've worked through, if you still think you've got a hand in this and that the changes that are being made are, are going to benefit you eternally, and if you think that righteousness is something that will come eventually, but it's not something you even need to worry about today, you are dead wrong. Christ is teaching the opposite of that attitude. Be different. Be different. As we move on here, we see now moving beyond perhaps ourselves. How to be a blessed blessing. Starting in verse 7, we see, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So this is showing mercy beyond expectation. Why isn't this first? These are fine questions to ask yourselves when you're studying the Word. I'm confused by this. Why, what, what, does the order matter? Well, I, would, I, would, I would absolutely say it does matter. Everything in the Word of God is intentional. It must be, or we wouldn't say that it's infallible and absolutely the Word of God with utmost power. If it's got utmost power, then we can't even comprehend how put together the Word is. And that's fine by me. But what we see, if we were to go back here, one slide, is we see it starts with first figuring out how I commune with Christ, how I spend my time with the Father, how I grow in the faith. And it's not because of me and my good works or my family and their pedigree. It's because I am dead in my sin. I am sorrowful for that. I can't fix it myself, and I want to be more like you, Christ. Welcome to sanctification. So now you're quote-unquote saved. Let's just, that's where it all starts. I am low, and Christ has illumined me, and the Spirit is indwelling me. I'm a new creation. Now what do I do? Show mercy beyond expectation. Well, you know, that guy, I mean, he literally, you know, stuck me on a bad business deal. This person over here owes me money, and this person and that person and whatever else, and I'm, I'm out there. I'm going to get mine. You know, I'm glad that I'm saved, but I still got work to do. I still got things to handle on this earth. Fine. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Well, I want mercy. <laughs> then you better be merciful. You'll notice there isn't some sideline here where Christ goes over contract law and when mercy should be applied or not. Right? I'm not going to call my mortgage company after this and say, hey, Matthew 5, 7 says, blessed are the merciful. So I expect a little mercy, and then you'll receive some. They'll probably say, hey, that's, that's really cool. As a believer, I, I'm right there with you. Anyway, the bill is due, or we're going to foreclose, because we made an agreement, right? We showed you mercy in some regards by setting up a contract. So, so this is, this is the, the, I'm not trying to nuance this into everybody's forgiven immediately everything, but there is this notion of showing mercy beyond expectation. And if you say to yourself, I don't know what that means. I don't know who to show mercy to. I don't know how to do it. Well, guess who's going to fix that in your life? Not you. If we go right back to the beginning, I can't do it. 
Once again, I'm coming asking you, Holy Spirit, to intervene in my life. I need to get back into the Word. I need to understand mercy more fully. I need to understand what that means and how that's going to happen. Next we see, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart. That sounds pretty good. Seeing God sounds great. Now, ironically, what we see here is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If we go back to some of our Old Testament studies and we, we bump into the people who have seen God, it doesn't go well for them. They can't hardly, they can barely look at Him. Because to, to approach God means you must have a pure heart. In this case, it's living your life as God calls you to, pure in heart. Will we sin? Yep. Will Christ have paid for those sins? Yep. Will we go through that cycle, those first four Beatitudes again? Yes. Lord, my spirit well up inside me. I thought I could do it better. No. No. Not me, but you. Less of me, more of you. I'm sorry I did that again. He, help me, Lord. Help me quell that better. I, I don't want to be a slave to myself or my sin or bad attitudes or, or Satan or any of that. I, I, I want to serve you. And as I do that, living my life as God has called me to, yeah, following the law of the Bible, understanding what God would have me to do. To do that, I need to know what God wants me to do. If you ever wonder fundamentally why we do this every week, it's because if I tell you to live your life as God calls you to, but I don't tell you how God's called you to live your life, that's a massive disservice. It's like punishing kids who don't know the rules. Now, I'm not in the business of punishing anybody. That's God's business. But, you know, we just finished Malachi, and if you read the end of that book, it does not go well for the evildoers and the arrogant. It does not go well. You don't want to be that person. But you'll notice here that Christ, once again, is not saying, blessed are those who act merciful. Blessed are those who are merciful for show. These are people who are merciful. This is a trait that humanity does not have without God. We want vengeance. You agreed, you failed, into prison. See you in court. Those are the rules. Now sometimes, those things, that is the merciful thing to do, which is why it's not cut and dried. I'm using these examples, but I'm going to be very careful that these, don't write these examples and say, oh, okay, so someone steals a mower, I let that one go. But if they, no. This is between you and the Holy Spirit. Sometimes mercy is letting somebody pay for what they've done so they have an opportunity to think about where, what, what a lowly estate they are in without mercy. But if you're going to show mercy, then begin to live your life as God calls you to. Now, you're going to say, well, those first five, aren't those kind of the same thing? Yeah. But this gets to the heart of something different. This is what we talked about at the end of Malachi. There's a verse in the middle of that. Here's the day of the Lord. And then it's remember the law of Moses. There's still rules. There's still right and wrong. I'm low in spirit. I'm so sad for what I've done. I'm doing the work here. Uh, I can't fix it. This is all true. I deeply desire to be righteous. Yes, now I need to begin showing mercy to those around me. And now I've got to start living as God would have me live. And in order to do that, I need to know how God would have me live. I need to be in constant contact with God about these various things as they're coming up. And I don't know what to do. And the more I face this, the more I realize I, I don't know what to do a lot of the time. But God has been teaching me. And now I'm starting to do things every day in a way that aligns with the Bible. I'm not, I'm not looking at a toothbrush and saying, Lord, which side of my mouth do I start on here? Please, Lord, I need a word. I need a miracle right now. I'm going to drop the toothbrush in whichever way it faces. You don't need to do that sort of thing because the word tells us how to deal with stuff like that. That doesn't really matter. We're not going to lose sleep over how we brush our teeth. 
Now, if you stop brushing your teeth, the people around you may encourage you to do so. Right? That's mercy, by the way, because you have no idea how bad it could be getting. But the sum total is, this isn't about getting lost in this. It's not about making, upholding the law and living a, like a Christ-like life and following the rules that we worship. No, this is a means to an end. I can draw closer to Christ when I'm living the way Christ told me to because, lo and behold, that's exactly what he's called me to do. But if we go back, I still can't do it by myself. I still can't do it. I need the Holy Spirit every step of the way. And lastly, on how to be a blessed blessing is as much as you're able, make peace around you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I'll tell you, sons of God, is a, that's a high title. It speaks a lot about where peacemaking is held in the world, in the word. Now, we say the world is big on peace, and the world also hates war. But once again, this is about being different, not about acting different. It's not about saying that you want peace and then subverting everybody around you in, in, with, with warlike actions in the name of peace. Also, this is not perfectly clear, much like mercy. This will be something you will have to deal with on a case-by-case -case basis. Constant contact with God, praying of the Holy Spirit, consulting with your church, consulting with the leadership, having people pray. When you come up against these situations where I don't know what is peaceable, I know I'm frustrated by this, I'm afraid I'm being clouded by my own bad judgment or my past it's really just want, i want to i want vengeance i want them to pay okay is it more peaceable to go a different route well maybe but there was fundamentally something different about being a peacemaker and once again being a peacemaker not acting peaceable and then walking away just clenched fist thinking oh man if it weren't for that bible you know, if it weren't for those people looking at me right now, I'd knock you right down on the ground. I felt that way before. I struggle a lot with, with, the, with failing in a, in a microcosm when I drive. When I'm by myself and I'm driving and I see how many idiots are on the road. I mean, it is astounding. If you've not been out there lately, it is awful. Nobody knows how to drive. They're all over the place. They're on their phones. They don't go at green lights. It's absurd. And I, I tell myself... <laughs> I'm quiet if there's other people in the car, but if it's just me, I mean, the, the way I feel in my heart, how frustrating that is, I can't, it, it's shameful. But it's times like this where I think to myself, I'm not going to ram off the road. I'm not going to call the police. I'm not going to write down their license plate and, and get into it. And I've seen videos of people doing that stuff. They just can't, so I'm going to have to give this person a piece of my mind. Now I walk through this, this uh, there before the grace of God go I. The real eye-opening moment for me in that space was when Emma started driving. You know, it wasn't a lack of skill. It was a lack of surety. She just wasn't comfortable behind the wheel. So coming off stop signs and things like that were just maybe a little slower than, than everybody else, but just learning how to do it. And I suddenly realized, I wonder how many times I was behind somebody that was just taking their first few drives. And I'm giving them no mercy, no grace. I'm not making any peace with them. Shame on me. I repented of that stuff. I'm much better about it than I used to be, but I tell you, it's still a struggle. It will be to the end of time. I'm thankful for this because as I go back through this and I go right back to the top of the list, all right, I got to knock that down again. Lord, help me. 
take that away. If not, help me cope with it. I'm going to get better. i got to be calmer. I want to be a peacemaker. I want to be merciful. And more than anything, Lord, I want to be able to wave at somebody and say, good job or whatever. I'll say, sorry, new driver. You know, those stickers on the back of cars because people have gotten sick and tired of people tailgating young people trying to learn to drive because we have this expectation we should all know. Now, driving is one thing. Living the church lifestyle is another. But church, it's a dangerous game we play where we start treating it just like driving on the highway. We see somebody that came into the church that gave their life to Christ. They're sitting, they're serving, but they're not doing it the way we'd like it. They're not going fast enough. Don't they know the rules of the road? So how do we get blessed beyond understanding? And here's where we close these out. Everything else is pretty singular, but here at the end, there's kind of two of them for persecution. How to be blessed beyond understanding? Accept the persecution for your righteousness. Accept the persecution for your righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here comes persecution. All right. Time to be blessed. That's what it says. Understand that the world will lie, cheat, and steal against you for your faith. Notice the way I ended both of these bullets. Your righteousness and your faith. If you have anything else, if your righteousness is actually of you, it's not righteousness. If there's any righteousness coming from you, it's coming from God. But if your behavior is bringing persecution on you, if people are lying, cheating, and stealing against you because of your bad choices or because you've hurt them in some manner, that's your problem. That is not persecution that leads to blessing. That's persecution because of poor choices. I've endured that plenty of times. I'm sure we all have. But this is not persecution for persecution's sake. This is persecution with specific purpose. Purpose-driven persecution, as it were. I don't know if that's copyrighted. Probably is. Probably owe somebody some royalties for saying that. That said, there is this, this is not, well, woe is me. I've made a, a, t- a whole bunch of bad things, and now look, the world's coming to get me. You know, the credit card companies don't let me alone, and my boss is just really riding me for this and that and the other. And I, I, once again, but I know, blessed are those who persecute for righteousness' snake. Like, well, calling in sick to go golfing is not righteousness. <laughs> that's not the kind of persecution that's going to get you a blessing. That's general persecution do you because of poor choices. But there are two parts of these, two blessings here. Persecuted for righteousness' sake, and when others revile you and persecute you, and other all kinds of evil against you falsely, on my account, for your faith. If you go into the world, and you tell the world the good news of Christ, and you live a Christ-like life, and you work very, very hard to go the way God would have you go, the world will not stop. Persecution will come, and it will get worse and worse and worse and worse. And all of that persecution is a blessing. Yours will be the kingdom of heaven. And then uh, for for the second one of these, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is a wonderful gift. Your rewards are in heaven, but also welcome to the club. Welcome to the club of prophets who were persecuted and reviled for God. 
Man, that is a good club to be in. Don't know what the, I don't know what the marker is going to be for that. Maybe nothing. But maybe something. Maybe like a cool, you know, jacket persecution club or something like that, right? Like I got, I was in. Me and all these other prophets. The people burned at the stake. The people stoned to death, thrown off temples. All of us here. Jesus' brother. Great reward in heaven. Points to ponder. Be different with humility and thankfulness. Be different with humility and thankfulness. Don't act humble. Don't feign being thankful. Be different. Be different with a desire to live righteously. Now, when I say be different, all these is obviously different than the world. <laughs> but sadly, you might find yourself being different than a lot of houses of worship. I don't talk about this stuff either. Be different with an attitude of compassion towards others. And be different by rejoicing and suffering for God's glory. Let's jump into these. So be different with humility and thankfulness. The humility comes from knowing that we cannot save ourselves, period. There is no hope. I have been to half price books and other bookstores. I have seen the self-help, the self-help shelf. Man, that's self-help shelf. Yeah, that shouldn't be that hard to say. And it is incredible how many people are willing to tell you how to fix you without even knowing you. And you might think, well, that's kind of the way of it, right? I mean, the Bible doesn't know me. Ah, that's where you're wrong. The author of this book wrote you into existence forever ago. Not only does God know you, but he knows everything about you. Things you don't know about you, God knows about you. These are his words. And he says, you can't do it yourself. And we should say, okay. Instead, what we say is, well, maybe I can. He doesn't know me. That is a lie. God does know you. And you cannot save yourself, period. When it comes to abject humility, that's a great first step, is knowing that you are without hope. But because of that, we know we need a Savior, and we need Him to do 100% of the work. Not a 50-50. It's not, you know, uh, Jesus, take the wheel. If you're driving at all, you're in the wrong seat. Christ will do 100% of the work. This is really good news. Really good news. There's nothing standing between you and Jesus Christ except Jesus Christ. <laughs> There's nothing there. If you hear this and you say, I can't save myself. I want to be saved. I want Jesus Christ in my life. Then this is where it starts. Yeah, okay, I can't do it. But if you think, well, I can do it because I'm going to ask him into my life. See, I still did it. Uh-oh. <laughs> that doesn't work either. Paul Washer, who I adore, is a wonderful uh, preacher. He's not a god or a deity, and he's no savior. But he's a wonderful preacher. said, uh, well, the greatest lie the evangelical church has ever taught is that if you ask Jesus into your heart, he will definitely come in. And as you hear me say that, you might say, whoa, whoa, that's the truth. All we've got to do is ask, right? You have to ask. You have to ask a very specific way. You have to ask knowing that this is not, you don't command Christ. You beg Christ. You come to Christ saying, I am without. I'm without. I'm nothing. I don't deserve it. 
I want it desperately. I don't deserve it. Give it to me, please. I need it more than anything. I bring nothing to my salvation but the sin that requires it. Jesus does 100% of the work. Knowing that an unaffordable debt has been paid should floor us. This salvation, you didn't earn it. You will never earn it. I've been saved since my sophomore year of high school. And I feel like all I have done since then is make more debt to be paid off. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Perfectly honest with you. I am without merit if not for Christ. He had paid a debt I could never afford and paid it fully and continues to pay for the remainder of my life all the sins that I'll commit. That's why I serve him. We do not deserve it and we can never repay it. That's where the thankfulness comes from. He doesn't ask me to repay it. There's no requirement after you're saved to begin doing things a certain way or else. What we talk about, faith without works being dead, is we should feel a compulsion. The Spirit is moving us to do this, to further the kingdom. Not to punch my ticket, not to add more into the treasure chest so I can get to heaven and live high on the hog. Those are nice things. But you'll find very, very few people, even on this earth, I'm not talking Christian, find very few Olympians that strove to be the best because they just really wanted a gold medal. No, they wanted to be the best. We, want, we should want to be more like Christ. That's where the thankfulness comes in. Second, be different with the desire to live righteously. Knowing the debt that's been paid, we should strive to live as God chooses. As God chooses. Well, I don't know if God chose this or that. Well, it's, it's in the Word. Once again, head to the Word. If you need help finding it, let us know. We'll, we'll happily point it out. But you're going to see a whole bunch of folks that say they're living righteously, but they're living the way God said don't live, and somehow crediting it to God. That is a huge mistake. It's not enough to just believe. The Bible tells us Satan knows and believes in God. He's well aware that Christ is his son. Well aware. We must become sanctified with God's help through in our lives. Unbelievable. It's like, like somebody that doesn't speak English wrote these bullets. It was me. We must become sanctified with God's help through our lives. He is in the midst of it. I can't make myself better. I know this from the very first place that we jumped off here in the Beatitudes. So what I require is God to do that. But I do expect, I do want to live better. And God will oblige. He will oblige. This blesses us and others as we credit God for the good works in our life. Once again, this is not about acting good. It's not about pretending and then going home and indulging all this anger and hatred and vengeance and this, that, and the other. But then, oh, no, it's really good to see you. Oh, man, I can't stand him. I can't wait. To... That's not what we're called to do. When those moments come up, and they will come up. They come up all the time. We want to be turning to God. We want to be turning to Christ. We want to be leaning on the Holy Spirit. We want to get into the Word. We want to call a trusted brother or sister in Christ and say, man, I am struggling with this. I feel like I've been stuck in a mire for two months. I'm waiting to pull out of it. It's not happening. I'm just growing deeper and deeper and deeper. Well, let's spend some time. Let's pray together. Let's read some scripture together. Let's talk every day at a set specific amount of time. Every time this happens, send me a text message. I'll intercede in prayer. We, we, God gave us the church and wants the church organized a certain way because it glorifies him to do so. So let's trust that it's good. Let's leverage it to its fullest. It doesn't have to be a Sunday morning, every couple months thing. It could be an everyday thing. This blesses us and others as we credit God for the good works in our life. All of these blessings, it's amazing. If you're going through the system, you're thinking, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. I'm sure you do. But as you work through the system, you realize this has very little to do with me. 
I mean, I'm getting blessed, but it seems like this is all about something bigger. And not just me. Yeah, it's about God. But what's he telling us to do? Drain yourself. Be sad. Repent. Back off a little bit. Let, 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 let the Holy Spirit begin to lead. Try to be righteous. Hunger and thirst for it. Do the best. Show mercy to those around you. Act right. Do what you know to be right. And by the way, if you're faced between peace and war, choose peace. And when they persecute you for that, wear it proudly, knowing that I'm serving a God who told me to expect it. Here it comes. Let me have it. Well, that doesn't seem very blessed. Then all along the way, what's it for? Well, lo and behold, it's because this is the manner in which the church will grow. A bunch of nice people dressed nice, acting nice, living great lives does not grow the church. It's the exact opposite. Be different with an attitude of compassion towards others. I will tell you from first hand, vengeance is so hard to abandon when we feel entitled to it. Has anybody ever been wronged legally, spiritually? Something, I mean, someone broke the law, let's say, stole from you. Well, in this world of today, you know, if I go break into somebody's house and take something and the police show up, they're going to arrest me and I'll go to court, probably get charged, probably go to prison. If you ever get a chance to do a prison ministry and you spend some time talking to these offenders, there's, you know, kind of three camps. There's the, I did it and got caught and I'm stupid or whatever else. So the others have got the system let me down. It's not true. And they're still in denial. And then there are those who've had the, the, the wonderful blessing where someone's told them the truth and they've come to grips with the fact that I did it, but that's not me anymore. I'm a changed person. I don't want to go back there. But I know I did it. And at this point, the compassion, the mercy that they feel, the vengeance towards all the systems that let them down, that's all gone because they know they did it. But moreover, they know it's been paid for. So now what they're doing is telling other people, you've got to let that go. You've got to let that go. Inside the prison, that's easy in some regards because everybody's in there because they got convicted of something. We sit in a row, we can look around and say, anybody here convicted of crime? Absolutely not. I can't say otherwise. But we know different in our heart. If someone's wronged you, if somebody's done something to you and you feel like you are rightfully entitled to vengeance by the, the code of the law here or what you see you read in the Bible or you found a passage you're taking out of context and it's eating you up, it is really hard to let that go, to let someone get away with it. They're going to get away. They won't learn their lesson. Maybe. But we must be merciful towards others because we were once the others. For every person I could pick out that stuck me on something, hosed me on something, messed me over, I guarantee you'll find 10 other people that feel the same way about me. They want me in prison too. I was once the other. I still am probably the other. The mercy that I show others, I'm begging for it tenfold when my number comes up. And we forget that. Because we go back to the very first beatitude and we've got a spirit of self-confidence. And we have my own spirit of righteousness. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm pretty good. I'm better than other people. I haven't committed a murder. All right, well, okay. Have you done one in your heart? Well, you know, but the law is the law. And that's not a heart murder. is not a law. Well, the sum total here is if we approach this as I deserve mercy, but they don't because of what they've done, we are starting off on the wrong foot. Now, I'll tell you. I don't want to get into a debate about enablement and all this sort of thing. I'm not saying if someone comes to you and owes you money uh, and that you say, well, no, it's all for everything's forgiven. That may not be what's in their best interest. It's not as cut and dried as that. But the notion is being merciful towards others. That's what's key. And if you need help in understanding what mercy might be for people, once again, back to the Word, talk to the church, 
talk to some learned individuals, Christian counselors that maybe have faced similar situations and have already walked through perhaps a, a series of spiritual steps that led them to good, pretty good decision-making to help people. Without God, they cannot fix themselves. You know how we know that? Because we cannot fix ourselves. If you said, well, I kind of fix myself, they could do the same, <laughs> then you ain't fixed, right? And by the way, you're probably right where they ought to be. This is the reality. We sit in a position of blessing because of these Beatitudes, and if we look at those around us that aren't there and, and look down on them and want them to pay up, I mean, there's, I don't want to get too lost in this, right, but there's countless passages of this, right? The, the, the guy that's freed goes and collects his debt right away. I used to read that and think, wow, what an idiot. As I've grown older, that's me. That's me. Oh, you're forgiven. Great, good, because i got to go out and collect some debts. <laughs> Wait, are you going to forgive them? Well, no, they owe me money. I'm not the king. I don't have the kind of luxury you live. I need that money. Uh, no, you don't need the money. That's the whole point here. Without God, they can't fix themselves any more than we can. And if we really are compassionate, when I say be different with an attitude of compassion, I'm not talking about feigning compassion. I'm not talking about firing up your cell phone and showing you giving somebody, a, 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 you know, a, a homeless person some food or making a big donation on camera to show everybody how compassionate you are. I'm talking about real compassion. The kind of stuff that when we look at the world, we feel sad about it. We know we were once there. The hopelessness that they are indulged in. The place where they're scrambling to figure out which way is up. Compassion will keep us prayerful for that lost world. When I look around and see the, the, the abject poverty of spirit, people trying so hard to, to make their lives look good or be good or something. There's nothing there. I know because I was once there trying my best. Treading water, sinking. And finally, be different by rejoicing and suffering for God's glory. Here in America, we struggle with this. And quite frankly, the reason we struggle with this is because in America, we don't have a lot of persecution for our beliefs. You might feel persecuted a little bit if somebody reports on you or you get banned from something or whatever. Facebook jail and these sorts of things for speaking the truth. But that's not really persecution. I mean, it's an annoyance, but the lack of being able to use Facebook, I don't think quite rises to the level of persecution in the modern world. But the reality is, in other places in the world, it's a legitimate persecution for speaking the truth. Now, I want to reiterate, we shouldn't induce suffering or look for trouble. Um, I'm one of those kids, uh, when I was growing up, I did well in school. My parents were both teachers, and I was naive enough to think I could probably stay off the radar. These people, you know, they don't probably talk to my other teachers. But I was known as a troublemaker. I was bored, and I did, made lots of bad choices and annoyed teachers endlessly. And it was all kind of a good fun to me, but it wasn't seen as much fun for them. When it comes to my, my walk through Christ, this is something that I struggle with in perpetuity. Sometimes I just like to start stuff. You know, has anyone ever heard the term devil's advocate? Well, I think terms like that exist because, like, the, clearly the devil likes that, but I like it too. Right? If somebody posits something, this is the absolute truth, I'm going to say, oh, yeah? Like, uh, when I was in college, there was a guy who's, who was real, uh, anyway, he was an atheist, and I was an argumentative Christian quite young. And he said, you know, the old adage, there are no absolutes. There are no absolutes. And I said, absolutely no absolutes. He never spoke to me again. Now, I was right. I completely eviscerated his argument. You're saying there's no absolutes, but you've made an absolute. <laughs> Where is he today? I don't know. For all I know, wandered off. We talked a little bit about millstones on neck. That's one for me. 
I should have said, it's funny you'd say that, because I would say there's one absolute, but it's okay. And we could have talked about it. But instead, I just went right for the jugular with a logical fallacy and dismantled him. And he was so embarrassed that he just didn't want to talk about it anymore. Now, maybe someone later in life came around to him, and oh, someday I'll hear from him. I don't know. But we should not be doing that. We shouldn't be out there looking for fisticuffs. Who wants to fight about Jesus? I'll, I'll knock some faith right into you, believe me. I know the Bible, and I'm ready to fight about it. That's not the attitude. Jesus didn't take that attitude. Like I said, when he sits down, he's telling these folks how to come to, to be in the kingdom of heaven. It's not straight up and fly right, idiots. All right, get the fish. Let's go. It's, I'm going to tell you some truth that's going to be hard to understand at first, but the more you spend time on this, the more you rely on the Holy Spirit in this, the deeper that truth's going to become, and you're going to realize why I can't just make it go like that. It's something that God has chosen to unveil in slow, slow, meaningful ways in many people's lives. If we're living this passage, trouble will find us. You don't have to look for it. You don't have to look for a fight. You can go out, speak the truth calmly, ask people to pray, ask if you could pray for them, ask them what's going on, ask if they know the truth about Jesus Christ, ask them if they understand, are they going to get to go to heaven or hell, ask them if they're saved, and when they answer you, you say kindly, I don't know about that, and watch them. How dare you tell me I ain't right with Christ? Like, I'm not going to tell you anything about you in Christ. All I know is what you're telling me is not what's in the Bible. Woof. They want to call somebody. I want this person over here. I'll put an article in the paper. Here comes the persecution. Now, here in America, we're protected from that. But in other places of the world, you try that stuff, you get persecuted. They drag you out. They beat you in front of your family. They rape your family in front of you. This is real. Today, in today's modern world, this stuff happens. But when that trouble comes, no matter how it looks, if it's because of our faith, we should rejoice. Might sound easier said than done. I can tell you from perspective, the reason I feel that way is because most of the persecution in my life is not because of my faith. When I think about James, the brother of Jesus, being thrown from the temple, and as they begin to stone him because he's praying for them as he lays dying on the ground, it breaks my heart because I don't know that I'm that guy. <laughs> I've never been thrown from a temple because of my beliefs. Most of my persecution has been people wanting to fight because I started something. But he's rejoicing as he's laying on the ground. He's interceding for them. Lord, forgive them, these rascals. Here I am. They, they are image bearers, Lord, just as I was. Let this be a moment for them. And they say, get the stones. I'm not going to have this guy praying for me. And they kill him. That's persecution for the faith. And he rejoiced till he breathed his last. That's where we should be. That's where we should be. And if we're not in the midst of that, perhaps we need to step up our game. Now, I'm not talking about looking for trouble. I'm talking about speaking the truth and let the trouble come. And when it comes, you'll know, just like, just like all the martyrs of the past knew, right? There was, uh, we'll put them in the furnace. And there's a fourth person in there. Like, hey, we're not, we weren't burned. We, it's all good. They didn't come out of there panicked and nervous. They were calm. Like, it's God. God got us. We're, we're good. I'm good. We're happy. We enjoyed that. Did it hurt? It could have. Maybe it felt like their flesh was burning off. They rejoiced. We're called to do it. So what about us? If you can check off this list entirely, maybe make a second pass. <laughs> kind of Ten Commandments-ish there, right? Like, I'm good on all those. Ooh, doubt it. 
right? If you're going through this and saying, I am squared away, and you aren't Jesus, you probably need to make another pass. But just like the Ten Commandments, this list shows us how different we are from God. Remember, remember, the Bible is not about us. It's about Jesus. When Jesus cites this, the goal is to let us know that, man, our God is glorious beyond all measure. Look at how we're blessed on this earth. It's the polar opposite of the way we do things here. Yeah, because that's how God is. God gets all the glory, and it's right that he does so. He does whatever he wants. Whatever he pleases, God does. We're not supposed to be doing that. We may say we want to be meek, but without God, we don't. I speak from experience on that. When I say we, we can just say I. I say I want to be meek, but if, if God's not in the midst of it, I don't want to be meek. They have terms for people like me. Uh, D, type A personalities, D on this chart, all these things. I always fall in this one quadrant of folks that are like big and ominous and imposing and loud, don't shut up and, you know, take control of things. That's me. That's not meek. That's a problem. Now, those skills, uh, the ability to, to, to want to learn and do the work is great, but I have to keep myself in check to make sure that it's not me and it's not my glory that I'm working for. People sometimes come up, man, I wish I had that capability. I think to myself, I don't know. You know, if you were naturally meek, would it be easier? I don't know. People are naturally meek probably say no, because then I don't ever want to assert myself for God at all. You are at least going to assert yourself for God. You're just going to make sure you're doing it for life. Maybe we're all in the same struggle. That's the reality of it, right? It's not about acting the part. It's about life change. No matter where you are, what quadrant you've fallen on a personality type, what the doctors have told you, what your predilections are, what your addictions are, name it. It doesn't matter. It is about life change. It can be different. It can be different. God is not going to give you something like this and say this, and you feel a strong urge, and it's, well, it's just, I guess that's the way God made this sinful part of me that I'm going to be condemned to live with for all time, and so that makes it good. No, 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 no. You're, you're, you're darn right that there's sinful parts of you that may never go away till you're dead, but they are wrong all the way till you're dead. Paul talked about thorns in his side, doing things he hates and hating what he's doing. Welcome to life in a world that has fallen. But we want to change our attitudes, our mindset, our goals, why we do what we do. It's not for us. It's not for the glory of us or our church or our family. Not for money or power or fame. It's for the glory of God. These blessings last forever. So if you're not a believer, but you're interested in this state of utmost bliss, you are in the right place. Talk with us, please. If you're hearing these words, you're like, I've tried this before. I've been to church before. And it's always the same runaround. They don't like this. They don't like that. I'm too loud. I'm not worried about any of that. Please talk with us. If you're a believer, pick a single beatitude for this next week. Just pick one. Pick one of them. Pray about it every day. As you're walking through your day and you're bumping into people and you're talking and you're working or whatever, thinking about that. Keep it on the front of your mind. I want to be poor in spirit. I want to be mournful. Watch how the, the Holy Spirit shows you the things in your life that you are maybe ignoring. Now you find yourself being brought to mourn because you are asking the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to oblige in your sanctification. Pray that scripture every morning and throughout the day. And lastly, be ready for utmost bliss. We look at the end of this for persecution. We look at the tail end of all these. They shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. 
shall. If you mourn the way we're called to mourn, you will be comforted. Not maybe, not might be, shall be. I'm not talking naming it and claiming it. That's all I'm talking about. I'm not saying just pray comfort over things. I'm talking mourn the way the Bible calls us to mourn. Mourn deeply. Know that we are spiritually empty and drained and hopeless without Christ. And watch what happens. Be ready for utmost bliss. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for this passage. Lord, I feel like I'd talk about this for five or six more hours, but I'm not going to, Lord. But I pray that as we leave this place today, if someone's heard something today that has sparked an interest in their mind, or they've never thought about it that way, or they want to get to know you better, or they just aren't sure if they're good enough, or whatever, Lord, I pray that they will reach out. We can put those things away and talk about the truth of the Scripture, not the doubt of the world, not the fear of the world, or those, those spirits you call out specifically. Uh, they're of no value. I'm thankful for this church body, Lord. I'm thankful for a group of believers that are dedicated to you and your word and the good news of that word to be shared in this community, city, state, nation, world, Lord. Help us as we, uh, as we venture out these doors, Lord, to take these 12 verses to heart, commit to them, to know that these are the things that will bring us blessing but bring you glory. Thank you for this, Lord. Thank you, Shenzhen, I pray. Amen.